0: You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is Episode 85. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. So let's get started with today's story. Today I'm bringing you the final part of my Metamore City novella, Divide by Zero. This story began running in episode 81. So if you're new to the show, go back and get caught up or none of what follows is going to make much sense. A quick reminder before we get started. The story was written for the web and in its original form it makes use of two-dimensional space to tell the story in a non-linear way. Because audio is an inherently linear medium, what follows is an artistic interpretation of the original story. To experience it as it was originally written, I recommend picking up a copy of the paperback edition of Divine Intervention. You can buy it on Amazon now, and the link will be in the show notes. Now let's get to the story recap, which will contain spoilers. Hallie Carmenos is a brilliant young theoretical physicist who's developed a new model for how space and time interact with the ether, the realm of magic. Her flatmate, Sophie Gallagher, is a sociologist studying human sexual behavior. In the last week, both of them have encountered a mysterious figure who calls himself Septimus Octaginta, a riddle that contains the clues to his true name. Septimus is a monologist and mathematician, with strange personal powers that Halley doesn't understand. He has seen a flaw in Halley's model, and he's willing to help her fix it, but the knowledge will come at a price, because she will never again be able to see the world as she once did. Through a series of experiments, Septimus showed Halley that it was possible to actually see mana moving at the level of the individual thaumaton particles. Halley has a vision of a thaumaton changing from one type to another, something that is supposed to be impossible. Not only that, but the particle undergoes many different transformations simultaneously, even though at the end of the process they only observe one result. As she sees this, Halley is reminded of a fringe theory proposed by some radical physicists, that the universe is not following a single path through time, but that it is constantly branching out into different timelines, different possibilities— There is not one universe, but an ever-increasing number of alternate realities, split apart by decisions and choices both great and small. In addition to the dimensions of time, space, and ether, there is another dimension Halley needs to incorporate into her model, the axis of probability, which describes the splitting of the timeline into new realities. But even more important than the effect on her model is the effect on Halley personally. According to Septimus, she can actually see the alternate timelines before they happen and choose which paths she wants to follow. What Hallie will do with this newfound knowledge remains to be seen. Divide by Zero A Tale of Metamorph City Written and read by Chris Lester Part five. On our way out of the building, we run into Pietro. He's just coming back from one of his bike rides around campus, and is looking sweaty, tired, and ridiculous in his silver and red compression shorts. Hallie, he calls. Okay, wheezes, as he waves to me in greeting. I was just looking over your manuscript for the monology paper. I'll send you the edits this afternoon. You might want to hold off on that, Pietro, I say, grinning. I've just discovered something amazing that could change a lot of our conclusions. Give me a few days and I'll work up a revised copy. He chuckles, shaking his head. Dr. Halle Carmenos, the perfectionist. All right, it can wait a little while. Hello, Sophie. Hey, Dr. Galvani, Sophie says, giving a little wave. Pietro looks over at Septimus, his expression curious. And who's this, he asks, coming up to extend a hand. Oh, I say, this is my friend Septimus. He's visiting and wanted to see the lab. I pause, blink, and realize I have half a second to choose. I can see enough of the streams ahead to play it safe. My friend Septimus, he's visiting and wanted to see the lab. How do you do, sir? Septimus says, offering his hand. Pietro shakes it, good-naturedly. Pleased to meet you, Septimus. Are you Pyralian, then, or is that a worldnet alias? Oh, I've lived here and just about everywhere at one time or another, Septimus says, casually. Well, you came back at the right time, then. It's a gorgeous day out there. He turns to me and nods his head toward the exit, smirking. So get out there and enjoy it. Give yourself some downtime before you jump back into revisions. Life is about more than the numbers, Allie. I laugh, then pull him into an impulsive hug. Believe me, I know it, I say, giving him a peck on the cheek. He pulls back, looking pleasantly surprised. Then he looks down at my outfit, the sheer fabric of the blouse outlining the bare curves underneath it, then looks back up at me with an odd, lopsided grin, like he's just finally noticed what I was, and wasn't, wearing. He raises his eyebrows. You'd better get out of here before the dean sees you he says, then gives me a pat on the arm and continues down the hall, pushing his bicycle. He's a sweet little man, Sophie says fondly, after we're out of earshot. I dare say he likes you, says Septimus, looking at me out of the corner of his eye. I snort at that. I don't need to see the future to know all the ways that could go wrong. Besides, I add, reaching up and running a hand slowly down his strong, muscular arm. He's really not my type. We spend the rest of the afternoon the only way you should spend a summer afternoon in Pyralis, down by the beach. I exchange my skimpy outfit for an even skimpier bikini and a gorgeous multicolored sarong. Sophie, finally looking relaxed, pulls a similar outfit from her own wardrobe. Septimus just takes off his shirt, and that's decoration enough. We could have gone surfing again, but then we'd have been covered from the neck down in wetsuits, and how much fun is that? Instead, we lay out on beach towels, and play in the surf, and flirt with the other attractive young people who've come down to the water to play. So, I ask Sophie, when Septimus wanders off to buy drinks from a beverage stand, what do you think of him? She smiles lazily. I think I owe you an apology. He's really sweet. A gentleman. And hot, I supply, impishly. A giggle. And hot. There's something, I don't know, off about him. Something weird. But I don't think it's really a bad thing. Hallie! I turn and see him coming back over the dunes at a jog, balancing three bottles between his two arms. Hallie! he calls out again. It's extraordinary! The ghosts are upset because they're naked! Someone's poking holes in their shower curtains! <laughs> the kangaroo was right! I exchange a bemused look with Sophie. Like I said, something weird, she says. Very weird, I agree, looking back at him and smiling fondly. But hey, nobody's perfect. Septimus bids us goodnight at the door of our apartment. Are you sure you don't want to come in? I ask. Have a drink? Stay for a while? Or stay for breakfast? I think, but don't say. Alas, I cannot tonight, he says, taking my hand and kissing it. I have urgent business to which I must attend. I fear I may be forced to fly to Metamore City this very evening. I trade shocked expressions with Sophie. Metamore City? Great Maker, that's halfway across the continent. Are you coming back? I am, he assures me, putting his hand on my shoulder. I shall be gone for perhaps two weeks, three at the most. Time enough for you to tend to your paper, certainly. I have no doubt now that you can see what must be done. I bow my head and nod reluctantly. Gently, he takes me in his arms, then lowers his mouth to my ear. One great revelation remains for you. Look for it. When you see it, you will understand the work that awaits us. Then he looks at me with those eyes, so deep, so green, so captivating, and kisses me lightly on the lips. There is no surge of power. He has already given me what he has to give. The rest is up to me. We part, and he turns and bows to Sophie. Good night, Miss Gallagher. She fidgets. Hey, ''Don't I get a kiss?'' she asks, then laughs nervously. Septimus stoops down and looks into her eyes, his expression serious. ''You might,'' he says, after a moment, ''but not just now. Hallie is well on the way down her path, and you are just beginning yours. But you come from different places, and your journey will not be the same.'' She looks crestfallen. ''Sure, okay.'' He bows again to her, very deeply, then backs away and bows once more to me. Good night to both of you. I shall see you soon. And with that he turns and walks off into the night. Sophie opens the door to the apartment and goes inside. I stay on the porch and watch him go. Sophie's sitting on the couch when I come in, hunched over, staring blankly at the coffee table. I sit down next to her you okay, Soph? She shrugs one shoulder. It's funny, she says, her tone hollow. I've been with a lot of people, and I've been turned down by a lot of other people, she adds, laughing a little. It doesn't last. But it's been a long time since I felt that bad about being rejected. I don't even know why it bothers me, but it does. And no offense, Hal, but usually between the two of us, She stops and shakes her head. I'm sorry. There's no way I can finish that sentence that isn't going to sound bitter and jealous. That's not fair to you. She looks over and puts her hand on my arm. I'm sorry. You're a good friend. You deserve better than that. I reach out and touch my hand to her face, a strange feeling welling up inside of me. So do you, I say softly. I look into her face for a long moment. Then There's I give like her a her warm, sisterly hug. And close. To bed. You're a good friend I to you, I blink, smile, and choose. Sophie stares back at me, her face bare centimeters from mine. Her body is trembling. I can hear her quickening pulse, smell her growing arousal. Damn it, Allie. Don't you dare kiss me unless you mean it. I smile again, lean forward, and kiss her. There is an electric, tingling sensation, a sense of power flowing out of me and touching a place deep inside her. Our lips part as she gasps, her whole body shuddering beneath me. We look into each other's eyes again for a long, long moment. And then I spend the rest of the night proving to her that I mean it. Sunday, June twenty seventh. The next ten days were a time of wondrous discovery, as Sophie and I grew in intimacy and learned to use the gifts that had been awakened inside of us. We will stand on the deck of a skyship, watching as it nears the massive towers of Metamorph City. I sit in my chair, looking up at the ceiling, watching as time flows around me, out of the past and through the eternal present into the uncertain future. To my surprise, Septimus's absence was actually a blessing, since it gave us time to explore the new dimensions of our relationship without the constant distraction of his presence. I will hold my first-born son in my arms, smiling down at the face that looks so much like his father's. It is more than memories or dreams but not quite like being in several places at once. Oh, gods! Sophie cried one night, as we made love in her bed, which was the wider of the two, for obvious reasons. Now is always with us, for it is the only point at which the choices can be made. Shadows will stir in the spaces between worlds, as the barriers weaken and crack. At first I thought I had simply brought her to her peak, but then she cried out, I could see it! I could feel it! Oh, gods, Hallie, it's like you said. It's like waking up inside. I do not understand all of what I see. Someone will knock on the walls, annoying the neighbors, things that should not be on our side of the wall, trying to make them upset enough to... What? Much of it is out of context, indistinct, or only lasts for a moment. Guns, guns, guns. Boys with loud and nasty toys. But it is enough for me to see that something is very wrong in the world, and those who wield the power do not yet realize its magnitude or importance. Diversions and distractions. Someone must warn them. Her words sent a thrill through me, because I knew that the gift I had given her was real, and it had unfolded itself at last. circle of hearts, many yet one, focused inward. Survival protection. It is a terrible irony. Even those who believe in prophecies have forgotten the ones that matter. They must be turned outward to see what is beyond themselves. They think that only the few, the gifted, can see the way we see. They could see the truth. could even help save the world. I now know that anyone can be shown the way with practice. If they care enough to try. We We have a lot of work to do. do. Sophie's door opens and a young man comes out with a slightly dazed expression on his face. He looks over at me, sitting at the dining room table in my underwear, with a bowl of cereal perched in one hand and a portable computer on the table in front of me. I wave with my free hand and smile at him. Good morning, Ciro. Did you and Sophie have a good time last night? His dazed look morphs into a sort of half-baked grin. Man! he says, shaking his head in amazement. She is something else. I don't know what she did to me, but he gestures vaguely with one hand. It's like everything's so totally intense. Like my whole head is just wired, you know? He lets out a laugh. It's like this one time me and my friend jacked into this VR domain, right? And someone had like turned up the sensitivity way high. So if you like had a can of beer, it would wipe you out like you did a bunch of shots. Or like this girl grabbed Rico's dick and he just like exploded and passed out. He thinks about it and then laughs again. Okay, it's not bad like that, right? It actually feels pretty cool, but it's just intense. And <laughs> I can still like feel it in there in my head. Totally arc, huh? Way arc, I agree, grinning and you haven't seen the half of what it can do yet. Trust me. Stay open to it and see where it takes you. Sir, he says, nodding. He comes a few steps closer and looks over at my computer, covered with the complex equations and parameters of my model. I think he decides that he'd rather not ask, because after a few seconds he turns and looks at the clock. Well, he says, I guess I better go get in the shower, right? Summer session starts tomorrow, and I gotta go pick up my books. Have fun. I turn back to the computer and continue looking over my revisions, one last examination to make sure I didn't miss anything. The math got a lot more complicated when I factored in the probability axis, and accounted for chaotic fluctuations in aspect at the thaumatonic level, but it was nothing I couldn't handle. I'm feeling good about the results, even if they are going to shake things up even more than my first version. The revised model shows the theory behind what Sophie and I had already discovered in practice. Not only is it possible to see the future, but you hardly need any magic at all in order to do it. The same life mana that we generate naturally just by living and thinking can be attuned to receive thaumatons traveling backward through the time stream. Anyone can do this— It's just a matter of getting your mind to stop being a slave to linear time and what we usually call rational thinking. This is the big revelation Septimus told me about, the one that changes everything. Since Sophie and I figured it out, we've made it our mission to show as many people as we can, however we can. I finish my read-through, nod in satisfaction when I reach the end, then send it off to Pietro to review. Then I put the terminal into sleep mode stand up, stretch, and look at the clock. It's a little after nine on a Sunday morning. Sarah may have places to be, but I don't. Smiling, I head for Sophie's room, shucking off my underwear as I go. She's curled up on her side amidst tangled sheets, still fast asleep. Her frizzy red hair is spread out all over the pillow, and her face wears a peaceful, contented expression. The rest of her wears nothing at all, Gods, is she ever beautiful. The room is filled with the mingled scents of sweat, patchouli, and sex. I open up my senses to experience them more fully, and I feel my own body begin to respond. I shut the door behind me and climb into bed, nestling in behind her in spoon's position. She stirs slightly as my nude body presses up against hers, but she does not wake. I wrap my arm around her and nuzzle up against her neck, planting light kisses on her freckled shoulders. My hand cups her breast, traces fingers around her nipple, then runs over her belly and down to the soft ginger patch between her legs. She lets out a soft, murmur of pleasure, and I continue my tender ministrations as I raise one leg and wrap it over her own. I love being with her like this, this relaxed, gentle intimacy in the early hours of the morning. It's a new thing for both of us, really. Ever since we got together, Sophie's attitudes about sex have been changing. Oh, she's still just as enthusiastic about it, and she still brings plenty of her subjects home with her. But it's not just fun and games anymore. Not since she discovered that she can pass on the sight through lovemaking. She's more purposeful about sex now, more reverent. It matters now, in a way that it didn't before. Best of all, she's more willing to be vulnerable, more willing to open her heart as well as her legs, and never more so than when she's with me. If there is any part of the Maker out there who's still conscious enough to hear my prayers, I thank her for that more than anything else in this world. Another minute or two and Sophie awakens, and before saying anything, she turns over and finds my lips with her own. We wrap our arms around each other, and our legs re-entwine of their own accord. Sophie runs her thigh deliberately back and forth between my legs, inflaming my own passion, as my enhanced sense of touch amplifies the sensation. My hold on her tightens, and I kiss her harder, then lower my head to suck hungrily at the nipples of her soft, full, beautiful breasts. Hmm, she purrs happily, running her fingers through my hair. I thought it must be you, but I wasn't sure if this was now or then, or maybe tomorrow. My mouth releases its hold on her teat with a pop, and I smile up at her. Yesterday, today, and forever, I say, coming up for another kiss. Then I shift position and thrust my hips, bringing my sex into contact with hers, and making her gasp with the sensation. Now fuck me, silly gorgeous. She's all too willing to comply. Sometime later, as we lay wrapped in each other's arms, Sophie's head on my shoulder, I ask, So, how did things work out with Ciro? She makes a non-committal sound. I'm not sure yet. He's open to the idea that there's more to the world than what we see, but I don't know if he has the drive to really see it through. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets scared the first time he really sees, and then backs away from it. I guess that wouldn't surprise me either, I agree. Still, if we're really going to change the world, it's going to take all kinds. All we can do is make the offer. Yeah, she giggles. It's like proselytizing, except we aren't really trying to get them to join anything. More like they're part of this big, sleeping flock of sheep that's penned up inside a cave— and we're dragging him out to the entrance and showing him the sun. Oh, good analogy. I pause, then plant a kiss on her forehead. Though I wonder what it says that you're taking these sheep to bed with you. I mean, I've heard what they say about South Morans, but... She sputters in outrage, then flips over and silences me with a kiss. I let myself be silenced, and after a moment she lifts her head and gives me a mock-scolding look. You just worry about teaching the ones you can reach through their heads. You're the physicist. That's your department. I'll worry about the ones we have to show by dealing with their other heads. I finish, grinning wickedly. She laughs in spite of herself. (laughs) Or hearts. Or whatever. This is like a holy mission, Hal. We can't get stuck on just one technique. I reach up and brush her cheek tenderly. I love you. It just feels like the right time to say it. Then my mind catches up with what she just said. Holy mission. Holy. Holy. Crusade. Sanctify. Divine. Divine mission. Right. Truth. Enigma. Purpose. Holy. Nine, Nine hells. Holy. Nine, Nine data. Data. Order. Chaos. Chaos. Septimus. Octogenta. Seventh. Eighty. Nine. Holy. 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 Holy shit! She looks down at me, startled. What? You, Sophie... I reach up and kiss her hard on the mouth. Are an absolute genius. She gives me a happy but confused smile. Coming from you, Hallie, that means a lot. But why? A holy mission, I repeat excitedly. Holy mission, holy number? That's the secret to the riddle. I know who Septimus is. Pietro looks up with disappointment submit my resignation. resignation and lets the papers fall onto his desk. Thunk stone in the pool ripples, repercussions, waves. Goodbye.
1: Hallie. Hallie He Halle. says.
0: Hallelujah. Halcyon equals Kingfisher. Nesting bird. Triple. Peaceful. Building a home. What am I supposed to do with you can this? Do your duty. Do, do what, you what you do, me. like you know what you're doing. He gestures at the manuscript in front of him. Woman, you script. Woman, you script. You write. You so write for me, Sophie. Not only have you completely reversed our conclusions. Conclusions? Nothing concludes. Nothing ends. Nothing dies. But is born again in chaos. <gasps> the world renewed in fire. But you seem to have invented a completely new discipline of mathematics in order to describe I this could new model. If I wanted to. Long legs look good on the run, runway. Run, run, run. As fast as you can. Assuming it even knee, works, knee will it will bounce, take months order, to find someone else who can even alley, understand fracture, what you've done well enough to confirm the water, validity so of these equations. And as for your broader conclusions, he sighs and shakes his head. I don't, don't see, see any historical head, evidence that prophetic ability is as widespread right. as you right. suggest. Just you right right. so you he holds up his hands, palms outward. I'm not saying that you're wrong. You think so? Hope so. Need to be so. But we can't go to the reviewers with something like this unless. unless we tell them, the happier they'll be. Mary, Mary, blindness. You can build up the foundation, foundation of your, of your argument first with the people who will be able it. to examine it properly. Look. I am, but you aren't. Let's go with the From earlier stages, draft. Signs, of the coming storm on the horizon. And submit it to Menology like we planned. If you aren't comfortable, comfortable with our earlier conclusions about divinatory fields, the. then we can take that part out, and focus on the areas where we were able to test the model in empirically. Empirical. The more Pervious? No. But I think it would be best if you pursue this revised Revision, model. Re- vision see again. Only after we've established the more limited version in the literature. First person old books first people holy books garden of paradise man and woman surrounded by perfection Perfect. order entropy held back by what? By nine stars jewels of unearthly power sorts of finish, And shown that it stands up to the size, test of peer review. Bringing doom order cracks doom stars lost Doom. Seas rise. Doom. Chaos reigns. But stars endure, Scatter. Hidden, hidden, waiting to be found. Hallie. For worlds end the world, or destroy it. Indeterminate. Hallie? No. Oh. Is he done talking now? Okay. Do what you think is best, I say, pulling my focus back to now. You have my earlier draft on file. Make whatever changes you think we should make, and then we can submit it. I need to focus on the work ahead of me. He nods slowly. All right, he says. If I may make a suggestion, though. I nod. Take a break, he says, pleadingly. Go on vacation. Forget about the work for a little while. I've seen mathematicians before who got so deep into what they were doing that they got wrapped up in their own heads. Mathematics is powerful, but not everything it can describe is actually real. Sometimes people forget that, and they drive themselves crazy chasing numbers that have nothing to do with the world we live in. He reaches up and takes my hand. Don't let that happen to you. Take some time to connect with the world again, to step back and see things as they are, not just as what the equations say they are. I smile and squeeze his hand. As it happens, that's just what I had in mind. Sophie, and the one who calls himself Septimus, are waiting for me down the hall. Any luck? Sophie asks, not looking optimistic. I shake my head, confirming her suspicions. Nothing. Even when I touched him, nothing happened. He can't accept it. He can't open up to it. Most people never will, says our mentor. I have been teaching men for thousands of years, and few have ever had the strength to listen. I come to his arms, embracing him and smiling. Well, that's your problem, Lord Klepnos, I say, teasingly. You've spent all your time working with men. You should have tried talking to women sooner. He raises his eyebrows, looking surprised but delighted. You solved my riddle, then. I should have seen it sooner, I say, running a hand fondly across his chest. The letters in Klepnos only add up to seventy-two, but that's written as eight-zero in base nine. And I recall that the binary form of seventy-two is hidden in your telephone number, which should have been a dead giveaway if I'd been paying more attention. The trickster god, whom men have called the master of madness and folly, chuckles and puts his hands on my shoulders. Now, now, Hallie, the sighted must not belittle those who are blind, even if they are the same person in two different times— What matters is that I have taught you to see, and you have had the courage to do so. He reaches out to Sophie and gathers her to us. And you, in turn, have taught others. I am unspeakably proud of both of you. And we, says Sophie, are ready to get a move on. We're coming with you, I add, wherever the work takes us. He smiles. And can you see where that will be? Some of it. Sophie says, her expression going distant. I can see towers. Metamore City, I think. We'll have work to do there before long. She frowns. And apparently I'm going to give mouth-to-mouth to a duck. Right, I agree, peering ahead and catching snippets of the same timeline. But not until the layer cake catches fire. Klepnos grins broadly. Sounds like a grand old time. Now let's get going, shall we? We have to get to the wharf before the octopi go home for the day. We head out with him, arm in arm, both of us knowing exactly what he means. It's obvious, really. All you need is to change your perspective. And that's the end of Divide by Zero. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, I have another interview episode for you. I got the chance to talk to Nobilis Reed about his new book, The Monster Whisperer, which is now available in ebook and paperback. We had a great conversation, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. I also have two more interviews currently lined up. On January 21st, I'm talking to Jared Axelrod, author of the outstanding podcast, The Voice of Free Planet X, which is about to launch its third season. Then, on March 4th, I'll be welcoming back Philippa Ballantyne, who is preparing to release a new novel called Immortal Progeny. I'd love to get your input on these interviews, so if you go to the Fans of Metamore City Group or my Facebook author page, you can post your comments in the official Facebook events for these interviews. If you have a question you'd like me to ask them, post it there, and I'll incorporate it into our discussion. The links to the event pages will be in the show notes. Now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 5,469 words this week, over the course of 6.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 810 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I've gone 60 days without breaking my chain. I spent six of my seven writing days this week working on The Lost and the Least. I'm now near the end of Chapter 45, and the manuscript is over 148,000 words. This one's going to be a bit longer than I anticipated, because I'm still in the early stages of the final act, but I'm still hopeful that I can finish it by the end of January. Over on the Patreon campaign, I have some new bonus artwork for our $3 a month patrons and up, this is the concept art that Ben Clifford created for Misty Halloway, so if you want to see what Misty looks like after her Rift transformation, now you can. Becoming a patron is the single best way you can support this podcast and help me to keep making it. And it's easy. All you need is a PayPal account or a credit card. Just go to patreon.com slash authorchrislester, check out the reward levels, and make a monthly pledge. You'll get a custom RSS feed with behind-the-scenes author commentaries, as well as access to bonus artwork and other cool stuff. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your comments in text or audio to MetamoreCityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900. Then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is at facebook.com slash lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes. It really makes a difference in helping new people find the podcast. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with my interview with Nobilis Reed. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2006 and 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, so don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.